Hey guys, welcome to the Neglected Podcast. This podcast is not to change your mind, but to invite you into somebody else's narrative. This is a podcast to give a voice to the neglected. It is also an opportunity for all of us to engage. Hi, Neglected Podcast listeners. This is your host, Giovanna Javis, and I am here in the City Church studio with Mr. Quinn. Say hi, Quinn. Thank you for producing today. And we have our special guest here today. We have Tasia Ty. Say hi to everybody. Hello, everyone. My name is Tasia. I'm happy to be here today. Yeah, so I'm really looking forward to our conversation today. And you actually reached out to our neglected podcast about wanting to share your story. So I'm really excited to jump into that. Awesome. Um, so tell us about you. Where are you from? Tell us about your family okay. background. I can do that. So my name is Tasia. We are from, I'm from, I live in Garden City now. Um, I grew up in Brooklyn, Georgia, the mm-hmm. Bullock Bryan County. So kind of in the country, kind of different from where I am now. Mm-hmm. Um, childhood was great. I had a great childhood prior to my teen years. Um, high school was great. And now I am a Christian mother and wife raising my family and trying to set the best example that I can. Nice. So you mentioned that your childhood was great. What was it like? Oh, my goodness. It was fantastic. My dad was a hot mess. Um, (laughs) He used to, no matter how hard he worked or how tired he was when he got home from work, um, he always made time to, like, play with us on the trampoline and planned weekend trips. We would go camping. We'd go to the river. I probably spent as much time at the river as I did at my house (laughs) (laughs) during the right season. Um, We just had a good family. My brother and sister and I, we played a lot. You know, mom and dad were always together. Things were just good. As a kid, you couldn't ask for anything better than that, mm-hmm. you know, and that was for probably the majority of my childhood. But, you know, once I became a teenager, things changed. Mm-hmm. But prior to that, everything was just fantastic. Life was good. Yeah. And what was school like for you? So you mentioned that, you know, you had this really great family unit as a child. And so what was school like for you? School was my place. Like mm-hmm. school was fantastic. Um, I worked as hard as I could. I tried. I tried to like, I tried to do the best that I could do at every single thing I did just because I, I like craved, I don't know, at that time I was kind of craving attention and approval. And, um, mm-hmm. you know, I did that in school. It was good. School was good. I was a great student. Um, I would probably say it's only been recently that I would say school was like the best time of my life. Yeah. So for a long time, I thought school was going to be the best time of my life and there weren't going to be any great times, mm-hmm. you know, but my all of that's changed now. Yeah. It's definitely okay now and good. Good. So you you mentioned that that things were going really well for your family, that you had this great upbringing School was great, and then the teenage years happened. So walk me through how teenage years were for you. Okay. Teenage years were kind of spotty. Mom and dad kind of had their own demons to battle at that time, and um, drugs were definitely involved, and they both got overwhelmed with the drug lifestyle, you know. They both started using more than they could handle. Mm -hmm. The family unit definitely um dissolved basically mom was doing her own thing dad was doing his own thing and my dad actually ended up you know going to prison he was he he was busted for manufacturing drugs like on our property talk about an embarrassing moment for a high school senior you know Mm -hmm. it was 
it was different. Um, there were all kind of people at our house all the time that weren't family members. Mm-hmm. And eventually mom and dad separated and I stayed with dad because that's where school was and I wanted to graduate. Um, and then once I graduated, that was when I kind of got caught up in the same lifestyle, mm-hmm. which I never wanted to get caught up in. <laughs> yeah. But um, the community that we lived in, it was drugs were rampant there. I mean, it was infested with drugs and not just, you know, not low street level drugs. I'm talking hardcore drugs like it was infested in the community. So teen years got really rough. But even through all of that, as great of a student as I was, I managed to um, I still graduated top of my class. Um, I had all these great plans. I was going to go to college and I was going to be in the army and I had a career, but none of those things ended up coming to pass. Mm-hmm. And so as as a kid, things are going really well. Do you remember being aware of what was happening in your home? I was definitely aware. Mm-hmm. Um, I probably didn't understand the severity of it. Yeah. But I was definitely aware because there were so many different people in and out all the time. Mm-hmm. It just wasn't normal, you know? Yeah. Um, I was aware. And then probably once I got old enough, probably 14 or 15, I really knew something was bad wrong. Yeah. You know, this is not normal. Mm-hmm. So. So like as a kid, you were definitely alerted that something's going on, but it was in those like later teen years where it like clicked that like, oh. Right. Okay. Right. Definitely. Um, as a child, I kind of just, that was my, you know, it, it didn't, I say, let's see. Nine or 10 years old, you know, I'm thinking, I see things changing, but I don't know why and I don't know Mm -hmm. how, and I'm just going to ignore it and keep doing what I do. But like I said, between probably the ages of 10 and 15, yeah, I I grasped Mm -hmm. (laughs) what was going on. Like, this is not good and this is not normal. Mm -hmm. Um, Sadly, I ended up getting caught up in that lifestyle and um, it took me down 17 years of drug addiction myself. Yeah. So you mentioned that you graduate from high school, you have these plans, join the military, go to college. And so what happens after that? Three weeks after I graduated high school, um, that was, so when I graduated high school, that was when my dad got arrested Mm -hmm. um, and he went to prison. So I was really unstable. Mom was gone doing her own thing somewhere um, and dad just went to prison. So instead of like all of this great support coming, pushing me to do what I was supposed to do, which was go to college and have a career, I ended up getting married. Mm -hmm. Like I married this guy. He was a few years older than me, but he had a sports car and he had his own place and, you know, he had a good job. He had money. So that was like, in my mind, my quickest route out, like my Mm -hmm. quickest route to not be at home anymore. Mm -hmm. So I did that and... That ended up being more of the same. Um, He was an alcoholic, it turns out, and that relationship turned abusive. Mm. And that was when I met my Sunday school teacher who actually ended up helping me, um, you know, get back on track. Yeah. How How did she help you? She came and picked me up. I called her. We got in a fight one day, and she actually drove to where I was and got me and moved me in her house. And... She gave me a job at the auto parts store that her family owned and she just, she loved me. Yeah. Like she loved me, you know, no matter Mm -hmm. what. 
even when my parents, not that my parents didn't love me, but my parents were doing other things. Mm -hmm. And she loved me no matter what. Um, She took me to church. She's the one who introduced me to Jesus, to be Mm -hmm. honest. And Mm She was, she, she loved me. I don't know how else to say, you know, yeah. how she helped me, but she loved me. She loved me in all kinds of different ways. And, um, there was one time I was nominated for a trip to go to Washington, DC, and she actually helped me make that happen. The tuition for the trip was, I think $2,400 close to that. Mm-hmm. So I knew that, um, I knew that I wasn't going to be able to pull that off by myself as a high school kid. Yeah. And I knew that my parents had other things going on. But once she found out and found out how great of an opportunity that was for me, she made it happen. She yeah. drove me to the airport. She made sure I got the tuition. And um, she was a fantastic woman. Mm-hmm. When I think about her now and the way that I live my life now, I think about um, she was probably the first time that I saw, like, the love of God, mm-hmm. like, in mm-hmm. action in my world. Yeah. You know, I've heard about the love of God and I'd been to church, but I'd never experienced it firsthand. Yeah. So it's fantastic. No. And that sounds like a very powerful thing that, that this woman has been so consistent in your life for the first time being in high school and having this opportunity and not being able to take it and for her to step in and, and help you raise the money. Yes. And then the second time when you're in the middle of this marriage that is harmful for you, you were able to call her and she gave you a place to stay and then housed you. And that that's pretty amazing. So, no, I definitely see how she was definitely living out, like, what we see in the Gospels of yes. being there and loving people and caring for those around you. Yes, yes, yes. And so at that point, you're living with her. You're going to church. She gave you a job. And so how, where are you in your journey? Because um, like even an addiction and recovering even from the abuse. So you're recovering from abuse and then also like recovering from drugs at that point. Right. So I worked with, I worked at that store probably six or seven months. Um, Mm -hmm. I tried really hard to stay away from old people, old habits, old Mm -hmm. ways that didn't last. Um, I was still in the community and I ended up getting back on drugs. Mm -hmm. I was, um, I got farther and farther and farther into the drug game and I ended up leaving her home and moving to Garden City, which was where my mom was at at the time. And then once I got to Garden City, it, I mean, it got even worse. You know, I was like doing more and more drugs. I was bouncing around from couch to couch. I was, I was in bad shape Mm -hmm. and, um, yeah, I was just in bad shape. Yeah. Um, I try to think about, like today when I think about those times, I know good and well without the grace of God, like I'd be dead right now. There are so many things in my life that would have me, I should be dead, Mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. Eventually, I got put on probation for a DUI and um, Chatham County got their hands on me. Mm -hmm. I had to go to something called the daily reporting center. It's like where you're on probation and you report every single day. Yeah. Um, I couldn't get my act together. They gave me chance after chance after chance, and I just couldn't get my act together. So eventually I was sentenced to go to RSAT, mm-hmm. Residential Substance Abuse Treatment Program. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a nine-month-long residential rehab in prison mm-hmm. for women. Um, 
I have an incredible story about that. The same yeah. judge, Judge um, Louisa Abbott here in Chatham County, she's a superior court judge. The day that she sentenced me, you know, of course, I'm in shackles, mm -hmm. handcuffs on my wrists and my ankles. And I'm like in tears begging her, please don't send me to prison. Yeah. Um, and she looked right at me and she says, Ms. Boyles, you can't see in you what is there. Mm -hmm. You know, you're too far gone right now. And we're going to have to do this my way. Mm -hmm. So she sent me to prison and I ended up doing the program. I completed it successfully. Yeah. I thrived in the program. I had a great counselor there. Um, I skipped a lot. I was going to tell okay. you, <laughs> <laughs> I thrived in that program there. And um, I actually learned how to process grief for mm -hmm. the first time yeah. because you know, while I was in addiction, lots of things happened, lots and lots of things that I never really processed. Mm. And once I got to the rehab program and sat down and dried out long enough and I was able to process grief and I was able to hear how much God loved me and I was able to see that I could change my mind and I could change my lifestyle and I didn't have to live that way forever. Mm -hmm. It saved my life. Um, and then when I got home, Judge Abbott, the same judge that sentenced me, she actually came out to my one year meeting mm -hmm. at AA and she presented me with my one year sobriety chip. Wow, that's amazing. It's yeah. incredible. So you you mentioned that that the in between between being able to be in that recovery program and the things that had had happened, just that buildup of grief and of pain. Um, and you'd mentioned while you were telling that the story that there were some things that that you meant to to mention. So in the midst of, of addiction, now that you're looking back on it, what are the things that you're noticing that addiction helped you not feel? Oh, my goodness. Um, my relationship with my two children that I do have, mm -hmm. I was so caught up and so gone. You know, I always made sure they had what they needed, and I was always present. I always made sure they had food and water and clothes. But as far as like a bond and a loving relationship, like a mother-son relationship, it didn't exist. Mm -hmm. And now I pride myself on the relationship I have with my children. So I know for a fact that I wasn't feeling any grief or remorse for what they were missing out on at the time. Yeah. And uh, in 2015, I actually was pregnant with my daughter. Mm -hmm. um, the pregnancy went really well. The delivery, there was a emergency in the delivery. So it ended up being an emergency C-section. And um, she actually passed away 15 days after she was born. Mm -hmm. And when she passed away, that was when, like, I went from being, like, a functioning addict mm -hmm. to, like, I don't care. Yeah. Um, I don't care who knows. I don't care who finds out. I don't care what you think. I don't care what you think. You know, this is what I'm going to do. Mm -hmm. And my family went through all of that. My husband, he wasn't my husband at the time, but my husband and my children, like they witnessed all of those things. Yeah. And I didn't deal with those feelings. Mm -hmm. I was scared to deal with those feelings. And as long as I was high, I didn't have to deal with those feelings, you know? Yeah. So, so thankful those days are over. Mm -hmm. And so what was that process like of being in, you had mentioned that you had a great counselor while you were in the rehab. So what were those experiences like for you? The best experiences of 
I think it was the best experience anybody could possibly have while being confined in prison. Mm-hmm. Um, my counselor was a Christian lady, and she used to always start the meetings with, because I used to blame, like, my daughter's death. That was my fault in my head for a long time. Mm-hmm. And she always made sure that, you know, I knew how much God loved me, no matter what um, the world may say or what I had been through or any mistakes I feel like that I made. She just always started all of our conversations with how much God loves me. And that led to my recovery. That led to me loving me again. And that led to me, you know, coming home and wanting to, I wanted everybody to know that God loves you too. You know, Mm -hmm. like he saved me and he'll save you too. That's, I just want everybody to know. Um, and the, in our site, the experiences you ask about, they were just, they were, it was awesome because I got a chance to be a leader there. I got mm-hmm. to kind of, after I had been there a little while and I grasped what was going on, I got to um, kind of like mentor some of the other ladies that were coming in and, you know, share with them like, hey, Jesus loves you. Like, mm-hmm. hey, we can do this. Mm-hmm. You don't have to live like this anymore, you know, just because you get caught up in a lifestyle like I, for a long time, I thought that that's, that's what I was destined to be. was like a drug addict, yeah. a junkie, you know, that's mm-hmm. what the world chalked me up to be. Mm-hmm. And that's not so you don't have to live that way forever. Like you can change your mind and Jesus does love you and you can be successful. <laughs> yeah. You know? No, and that sounds really transformative to be in, in such an affirming space, especially like what you mentioned of like there is that there is that like label that's then placed on you yeah that you are fill in the blank and some of the labels that you mentioned junkie drug addict or whatever the label might be that you might get but it sounds like it's so it was so freeing for you to be in a space where you get to have a new label where you got to love yourself but then also be able to even like look your grief in its face especially around like family and the loss of a child because that like grief is heavy. Yes. I mean, it, it makes complete sense to me, like just from like a counselor perspective of why addiction exists, because it is either I feel these things and I navigate them and I don't know how long it's going to take. And that's overwhelming right. or I numb. And it sounds like for you, you kind of discovered in that journey, whereas it might've started when you were a teenager, just for like, fun because it was around you in that community but it turned into oh i don't have to feel the pain of this divorce or i don't have to feel the pain of this interaction with a family member i can kind of put my own band-aid on it that's exactly exactly how i felt Mm -hmm. um i just didn't want to deal with it and i i didn't have to Mm -hmm. you know when i was using so yeah you hit the nail on the head Mm -hmm. with that that's exactly what i did i numbed a lot of pain yeah and so you get out and and so there's still some recovery too so what what was that journey like for you of just being home and and hitting the ground when i got home direction i knew it was going to be hard Mm -hmm. and i knew like that my past was going to come for me (laughs) Um, but i had my mind made up like i'm not going to live that way anymore um i started i found my husband found a great church while i was um incarcerated and they were so supportive of my husband and my children while I was away they ministered to him 
They prayed for me before they even knew me. So when I came home, I started going to church there and they just took me in and they loved on me. And I think the one motto, one word motto of our church is restoration. Mm-hmm. And um, that's the truth. Um, when I got home, I just, I threw myself at God. I started listening to worship service, twenty like worship music 24-7. I started inviting people to church with me and like I know church isn't what it's all about it's about a relationship with Mm -hmm. Jesus and I now know that but that's what saved me when I got home I got as close to God as I possibly could and I knew as long as you know if I had all this free time where I was doing drugs before and doing bad things before like if I'm not doing anything then I'm just gonna have a bunch of idle time. So mm-hmm. I filled in all of that idle time with like serving others and mm-hmm. finding somewhere to go volunteer and, you know, reaching out and making contacts at the church. Like, Hey, do you need any help doing this? Hey, do you need any help doing that? And I was there every minute that I could be. Mm-hmm. And, um, it's proved to be successful for me. It's proved to, that's what works for me is staying as close to God as I can. Mm-hmm. No, I think that you're making a great point, though, of when you are recovering, it is so important to find something just like what you identified to fill that time. Mm -hmm. And for you, what was very nourishing to you, so it was not just a a thing to do with your time so you didn't use, it was also something was very nourishing to you to be in this community, because it sounds like what the community landed in even was a very healthy, very um, affirming space. And so- it makes sense that you would spend your time in this affirming space that then you would also be spending that time, as you said, instead of like being tempted by using, Oh, I'm going to go ahead and like serve. And and that's what worked for you. So I love that you brought up that point of in recovery. It's not necessarily just about like not using, but what are you going to do with that time? I think that's really important. Mm -hmm. That's a, that's a big, big, big deal because you know, idle time is definitely the devil's workshop. My mom used to say that when I was little. You got too much time on your hands, you know? And um, that's what helps. It helps. And I just wish, I don't know. It's like I try to live to li- I try to live my life today like as an example. Mm-hmm. My whole goal now is like I want to be the matriarch that my family has never had. That's what I want to be. Yeah. Like I want to set a real example for my children. I want them to have a real start when they graduate high school. And that's another thing. I'm so thankful that they were old enough to witness the bad, mm-hmm. you know, the ugly and now the good, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Do you have any feedback for maybe a parent that is walking through addiction of, of how to walk your kids through that recovery? Feedback? Um, or any insight or right. like um, what was helpful for you in that journey of, because you mentioned that your kids ages when you came back home, they were at least somewhat aware. And so what, what insight would you share? Be honest, mm. be honest. If you know, I'm very honest with my children about the mistakes I made and they respect that. Yeah. You know, um, and I try to respect their space too. I try to, you know, you have, I have to let them be mad. If they're going to be mad at me, let them be mad and mm-hmm. forgive them for that. Like, give them that space to, especially with my boys. They're very emotional and mm-hmm. they love their mama. But when I got home, it was tough. You know, they were mad at me for a little while. 
And I couldn't really, when they showed out or they acted out, I wanted to be mom and discipline them at the same, but at the same time I had to realize, you know, they have real feelings too. And just, you know, you have to be, you have to give them that space to express themselves while being very honest and very open. Mm -hmm. You know, kids today can handle it. Yeah. They, they know a lot more than we probably think they know. Yeah. To see, I think that's very powerful of, of taking that step back and acknowledging that your kids have feelings. I'm, I'm blown away by that answer because I think that that is, that is so powerful to just even be able to acknowledge their feelings and then even be vulnerable and courageous enough to be honest with them. Um, because like you were saying that they like trust them that they could handle it. And it sounds like where your family is now is because like when you got back home, you kind of hit the ground running in a healthy way. I did. I did my very best to not like I refused. <laughs> I had my mind made up that, mm-hmm. you know, I've seen all these powerful women like my counselors, like the officers in the places I was, the, you know, the attorneys, the judge, my Sunday school teacher even stayed in my mm-hmm. mind. Mm-hmm. Like, why couldn't I have a life like that? You know? Yeah. And I had just made up my mind. I was going to, that's how I wanted my life to be. And doggone it, I was going to make it happen. Yeah. So when I got home, put myself around the right people. I um, I just submerged myself around powerful, strong women of all different backgrounds and all different lifestyles and all different um, economic groups. And, mm. you know, I soaked up all of the wisdom and I soaked up all of the advice. And now I am today, you know, proud and successful. And I do have my own life just like that. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. happy and blessed and walking in victory. Yeah. No, and I love your point of of making that conscious choice of who you would surround yourself with. Like I'm seeing that connection between in your teen years who you were surrounded with versus who you're now that you know. Because when we were teenagers, we don't know any better. Right. Like we're not saying it's okay, but we didn't know any better. We thought we knew, but we didn't know any better. But I think that what I love hearing you say is that like as an adult getting out of getting out from under this addiction of I'm going to make a cognizant choice of the people I need to be around. I need to be around diverse people. I need to be around people who are moving in a healthy way. I need to be around. And it sounds like you kind of had this list in order to map your way. Mm -hmm. And that's, yeah, I think that's really important. Because I think that like, it is easy to just think that it is just about go to recovery, go to AA, the end. But if you haven't lived it or if you haven't watched someone walk it out, there's a lot of things that are happening in the in-between. Oh, yeah. The the in-between is the biggest part of all of it. The meetings and the, you know, telling somebody I'm in recovery, that's just like, like you said, that's from the outside looking in. Um, mm-hmm. The biggest part is the in-between and what you're doing on your own. You can't just go to meetings and expect that to save you. Um, you can't just go to church and expect that to save you. You Mm -hmm. have to, like you said, you do. I did have a list. Like I had an actual physical list of things I wanted to check off when I got home. The only reason I had that physical list is because I was incarcerated, you know, and had a lot of time on my hands, but I did. And, um, you know, I made sure that when I check something off, I add something to the bottom. I check mm-hmm. something off and I add something else to the bottom. And I still do that today. Maybe not on a physical sheet of paper, but like mentally, I'm like, okay, I did that. What's next? Yeah. Like I did that. What's next? And that used to hold me back 
that was probably, that's probably the biggest change. I used to get so nervous and worked up about like life happening to me. Mm -hmm. Like if this happens, what am I going to do? Oh my gosh. Um, but now it's like, I wake up every day and it's not, what if this happens? It's like, I'm going to make this happen. Mm -hmm. And that's just how I live my life today. I don't let, I don't let life happen to me. I kind of live on purpose. You know, yeah. I get up and I say, all right, God, let's do this. What are we doing today? Mm -hmm. And you know, he walks me through it every day, every day. We do it together, together. Yeah. <laughs> no, and, and I love that. And I see how for you back in those days of, of, of addiction, of feeling like, wow, I, maybe I capped out in school and how you're seeing that connection of like, now are my best days because that you have your purpose back. Right. You have that, that guide post back. So I think that that's amazing. And like I mentioned before, I, what I appreciate about what you're saying is you're kind of giving insight into those mm -hmm. things that are more than just go to church more than just like, we don't just go to church. We get engaged. We build community. We, learn how to engage in spiritual disciplines on our own. We don't just go to meetings. We engage with that process, with the 12 right. steps, with engaging with the person that you're meeting with. And so it's not just about showing up. It's about that engagement too. Yes, ma'am. Definitely have to work the programs, you know, mm -hmm. and you definitely have to form a relationship with yourself. Almost. You have to like get to know yourself again. Mm -hmm. And, um, that was, I know I had to get to know myself again because I had all of these, um, I guess some of those labels had kind of stuck and some of them were harder to remove than others. And I had to literally like out loud every day, you know, I am not, mm -hmm. I am a child of God. I am not what the world says I am. I am this. And that's a big part of recovery and a big part of um, moving forward and being successful. Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah, no, our mind is, there's a lot, there's a lot to the things that we think. And so, yeah, no, I love that point too, of, of you denouncing the things that you're not. Um, thank you for sharing that with us. I, I think that that, um, is, is so helpful and so powerful. And I'm always appreciative of, of people wanting to come in and share their story. Um, I would love if you're open, um, to also, you know, direct people to watching your testimony. That's how, I got to know your story and I think I was telling you before that it was a fantastic job. I'm, I'll try to link it for people because you did a, such a fantastic job of telling your story in such a linear fashion. Um, but thank you for coming in and sharing that with us. Thank you so much for having me. I feel like I went around in a circle. No. <laughs> You're fine. Uh, you did great. There was actually a poem I wrote while I was, yes, would you read that to us? I would, I would love to, I want to share. This is kind of, um, my whole story in a short little poem. Mm -hmm. So Proverbs 27, 19 says, as water reflects the face, so one's life reflects the heart. So I wrote this poem when I was in jail, everybody. Mm -hmm. It says, as I sit alone and stare, only with you these thoughts I share. The woman I see is not the woman you want me to be. The woman I see is healing, slowly, but surely revealing a strong and wise soul struggling to remain whole. I tried this my way from the start, but things inevitably fell apart. I struggled to put my life back together, only to realize this storm I needed you to weather. You brought me back like a wave, my life you surely did save. Father God, thank you for my reflection in the water. Images like these come only from the potter. 
Never alone I sit and stare, only with you these thoughts I share. The reflection I see is slowly becoming the one you meant for me. I love that. Thanks. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks. That's like my whole story in a nutshell. Mm -hmm. No, I appreciate you bringing that and sharing that with us. Thank you so much. And so at the end of every podcast, we ask our guests to give a challenge. And so what would your challenge be for our listeners? Okay. So I thought about this one and I'm prepared <laughs> for that question. Good. Uh, <laughs> um, this is something I try to do every day. I try to go out in the world and find somebody that doesn't look like me, mm -hmm. that's not from where I'm from, and I just show them some love. Mm. Either give them a compliment or hold the door or, you know, just love on somebody. Like, y'all just get out there and love on somebody. Yeah. That's my challenge. Just get out there and love on somebody today. I love that. <laughs> I mean, I do. And I think that that speaks volumes because you have no idea like how much that compliment or opening the door, these things that we think are quote unquote small, how much impact that can have on someone. That's exactly right. Yeah. So thanks for that challenge. Thank well, thank you for coming in and thank you for sharing your story and your poem as well. And listeners, we'll catch you next time. Bye.